And uh, I don't know how many of you are old enough. You know, I, that, that's, a, that's an extreme word. Let me just say, I don't know how many of you are experienced enough that you remember in school, we didn't have VHS, we didn't have DVD, we didn't have streaming. We had reel to reel. Anybody? Anybody? And then what happened if the film broke? Mayhem and chaos, right? So a uh, little jaunt back to memory lane, but how many of you remember like the, the teacher would always say, okay, we're going to watch a film and there's going to be questions, so pay attention, right? Watch this. Lately, it seems that we're getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church. That actually looked like Concord, right? All those streets getting really narrow and, and one way, and, and who would ever build a town like that? Uh, okay, so we just heard, you know, some words. We don't know if they're words of wisdom. We don't know if they're superfluous. Some of us are thinking, I don't even know what the guy's talking about, right? And so we're in PJ's Priority Passages. Today's sermon is titled, Churched, Churchy Church. I know, it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Churched, churchy, church. And you're thinking, there's a lot of redundancy today. Mm, not so much. Let's get back to this video. He, he said a lot of things, and so here's my question. Non-rhetorical, this is a great time for us to talk. And, and uh, that's one of the benefits to this room, is that meeting here, we can hear one another. So uh, I'm just going to ask you, what is the church? The hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And Magda said that with a mask on, so you guys should be able to hear everybody speaking today. Follow Magda's example. Uh, excellent, excellent answer. What else? What else is the church? The body of Christ. What else? The what? The bride of Christ. Glad I asked a second time because it's Communion Sunday and I thought I heard the bread of Christ. I'm like, that's some good stuff out of John 6, and I'm not really sure where Becky's leading with that. Yes, the bride of Christ. What else? Individual members of a whole. Individual members of a whole. There's some 1 Corinthians 12 stuff there. I like that. What else? So precious to Jesus that he died for it. Excellent. Anybody under the age of 72? No, I know you're under the age of 72. No, you can share if you're under the age of 72. Yes, yes, Trinity. What do you think the church is, Trinity? Um, a way to describe Jesus. Oh, a way to describe Jesus. I love it. That's straight out of 1 John chapter 2, Trinity. Whoever claims to know Jesus must walk like Jesus. Excellent. Well done. Well, let me get to uh, great answers. I should just throw my sermon away and we should play Bible trivia. Ready? 
Who did David kill with a spear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just move on, get back to the sermon. See, it wasn't going to work. So the word here, let's get, let's get granular here, okay? Let's get to what really matters. Not opinion, not culture, but what matters is truly what Jesus intended. Amen? There should be a deafening roar over that. Amen? Okay, did you mean it? That's good. That's good. What matters is what Jesus intended because he's the author and perfecter of our faith, right? And, and a real quick demonstration of that is just the things that we engage on on a daily basis when we try to communicate. How many of you have ever been misunderstood? You were very clear in what you said. You're extremely clear in what you said, but somehow that other person just didn't get it right. And, and then they want to tell you what you meant. Isn't that arrogant of them? Right? Well, no, no, you, you said da-da-da-da. What I said, what, we're all reliving it, right? May have even been this morning. Jesus gave instruction. Our responsibility as the church is to know exactly what he intended. Put that in your Bible, write it down on your doorposts, Whatever, you're going to save yourself so much trouble if you use that in, in, in your hermeneutic, that's a big word, but if you use that in your life and in your worldview, you're going to be able to do a, a much better understanding and interpretation of Scripture. Always remember, it's about what Jesus intended. So, when he says church, Peter... I promise you, as the rock, you will be my person and the, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Isn't there a word in there somewhere named church? When Jesus is talking to John in Revelation, he mentions the church at, just throw one out, Laodicea. Laodicea. What else? Corinth. That was in another thing, but yes. Corinth was one of the churches. Smyrna, Sardis, Ephesus. On and on, right? Philadelphia. Who said Philadelphia? Says everything about you, brother. The Philadelphian church. Every time you see that word church, the word in the Greek is ecclesia or ecclesia depending on if you're from the south or the north. I just wanted to see if that got any traction. The Greek word is ecclesia, and here is the meaning. You ready? A building with stained glass windows and a smoking hot lighting system. A gathering where donuts and coffee are served. <laughs> I got the amen from the back. Hey, Acts 2, right? They committed to eating together. It means, very simply, the assembly or congregation. So anytime you see that word in the New Testament... It means the assembly, the gathering together. This morning, I passed by, uh, coming from Brentwood, I passed by down Lone Tree, and there was church happening in the parking lot. They're right out in front of Target. And every member of that church had a really cool car. And they were devoted. They're there once every month. They get there on time. And they make really sure that their, their item, their worship, is spotless and clean. Some of them even have flyers and they're trying to proselyze about their, their faith. 
And some of them even brought friends to church. It's called a car show. So under Jesus' definition of church, that would be church, would it not? It's an assembly. It's a congregation of people who are like-minded. There are many groups that are out there, sports teams, their church, their church family. They do everything just about that we do here. They do it as a community. They care for one another. They gather together. They're centered and focused about the same thing, the sport their children are playing. Is that not church? It's an assembly. We need to put context to this because what matters is what Jesus Christ expects from his church. When we're talking about priority passages, the idea to know what the church is supposed to be is really important. So let's start with that. What we believe should be the values of the church, we have them listed up above. And I would say, look at this understanding of our five E's and think through this concept. Character creates culture. The, the five E's that are on the beam above me that you can see every single Sunday, and by the way, uh, uh, Scott, could you pull up slider 20 on the lighting? I think it's slider 20. Let's see what happens. Anything? Nope. I don't know the lighting system, but you know there's supposed to be four lights lit back there. Did they lose their salvation? What happened? I don't know. <laughs> they're on, they're off, they're, they're cold, they're hot. At least they're, they're what Jesus prefers. They're on, they're off, they're on, they're off. So we have the five E's up above me. Is that our culture? The church is consumed. You can read article after article. You can talk with leadership teams over and over. You can go to conferences that talk about the emphasis of the culture of the church or how we as the church engage with our what? Our culture. And now you're seeing some bounce back, right? You've heard these terms, the Reformation, the counter-Reformation. Okay, we, we, this is how we operate as people. Once you, you get a movement, you have a counter-movement to the movement, right? And so you have this same scenario when it comes to the church about culture. And so many of our churches right now are so anemic because they've been so focused on being relevant to the culture and not Christ. Those five E's are not our culture. Those five E's we put up there to help emphasize to anybody who may be visiting or anybody who's been here for 40 years that this is what we strive to see built into the character of each believer because this is Christ's expectation. Now when those five E's are happening and increasing measure, thank you 2 Peter chapter 1, when that is happening it develops what? It develops our culture. But so many churches functioning as an institution, not as the bride, have all these strategies about how we're going to engage with our current culture. Jesus engaged with the culture. Don't, don't get me wrong. He engaged with the culture. We as a church, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, you're going to share, we're going to put us to the test. We're going to do some revealing here. We're going to go into the doctor's office and we're going, to, we're going to do an x-ray to see if we're actually doing what we believe the church is called to, to be. Not necessarily do, but to be. So let me go over those five E's and, and, and we'll look in a deeper level how character creates culture. We want to be those that, that edify, right? Where's edify? Boom, right there. We want to be those that edify. So Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And I'll just tell you, I, I, I do have some PowerPoint here today, um, but not a whole lot. So you can take notes, and you would write down edify Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And basically, he's talking about that assembly, right? That how can the church, to exi how can the church exist if it is not assembled together? 
Well, because each of us as independent believers are the church. Yes or no? Of course. That to be the church means to be the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ happens by extension, by default, because we in faith respond to Jesus Christ's redemption of our souls. And we ask him to come change us, be Lord of our life, right? And so by proxy, then we are the church, and that's where we can stop. We have a lot of, I grew up with a lot of individuals that say, well, I, I don't believe in the institution of the church. It's filled with a bunch of hypocrites. I have no taste for that. And so I just, I stay at home and I read my Bible and I'm being the church that way. Is that the assembly? Is that by definition what the church is when Jesus communicated that word over and over and over? It's interesting when you see the word church multiple times in the New Testament, it is presented in a sense of plural form. More than one person. And there's importance in this gathering. And so Hebrews 10, 24 says what? Actually, let me back it up to 23. This is in my notes. Uh, let me back it up to 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up ourselves to love and good works. No. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How can I edify others if I'm consumed with just myself? Or if I've given up on my brother or sister in Christ? I can't. So then I'm not fulfilling what God's intention is for his bride, what Jesus' intention is for his bride. It goes on to say, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging. You can supplant that word for edify, okay? But encouraging or edifying one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the inference there is that we continue to do this as the church until Christ comes or until we go to be with him. Amen? Uh, next, evangelize, Matthew 5.16. And we had this as our theme verse for years. Um, by the way, Ephesians 4, let, let me do this real quick. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Um, this is important under this idea of, uh, of edifying. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And Paul is saying this to the church at Ephesus. And he says, and he, meaning God... And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. How many different people is that? That's a lot of different people. I had a student of mine that went away to a Christian college, and I noticed he just stopped coming to church. And that happens a lot. You know, they go away somewhere, and, and it was the same town, though. And so I went and had lunch with him just to see how things were going. And I said, hey, where, where are you going to church? He goes, Here. I said, when did they start a church here? He goes, this is the church. I said, oh, you're one of those. And he's like, what? What do you mean? He says, everything I've heard about the church, I'm doing better here. I said, yeah, absolutely, because you're in community here. You live with one another here. This is easy. But where are your elders? What do you mean, where are my elders? Well, it says that Paul went from town to town and established elders in every single church. Do you have elders here in the dorms? Well, no, I, 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 I don't. And I said, so you're encouraging one another, but where's your leadership structure? What do you mean leadership structure? Well, the scripture in Ephesians 4 talks about a leadership structure. Who are your, you know, who are your teachers? Who are your shepherds? Who are your on and on? And all of a sudden he was thinking, okay, I experienced what I think on a granular level should be more of the church than what I experienced prior in my life, and that was exciting, but I lost some of what Christ expects from his church, and I have to come back to what Jesus has established. So it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to what? To equip. So we can also use this for equip, right? To equip 
the saints for the work of the ministry. What does that infer? Saints being plural, work of ministry means serving one another, which tends to go away when we don't assemble, which is the true meaning of the word ecclesia, right? And it says, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. Evangelize. Matthew 5.16 is the passage that talks about you are Jesus' words. You are a city on the hill. You are a light, right? You are a light to the world. That's why we have these lights up here. It's a representation of how God has worked through our church body, our church family, to practice evangelism, his desire for the church, and how that actually has lived out. And for every individual that comes into the kingdom because of your obedience to what God expects of his church, of his bride, we commemorate that with a light to show that God's at work. So it was really important for this message that I had those lights lit, and uh, there you go. So just imagine four of them lit, and we're still in process because we want to have all those lit uh, by the end of the year. Um, so evangelize, you heard one verse, 28, 19. We have it um, over here, the Mark passage, going to all the world, making disciples of what? All nations. So here's, a, here's an expectation of Christ for his church. Uh, engage, Philippians 1, 27 through 30. You can turn there because this is a key passage. And this idea of engaging is so it's so important. We can easily be thrown off from what Christ expects of the church, especially in the area of engage, because we have our own challenges, we have our own difficulties. And honestly, if I go to church, I'm probably going to hear about somebody else's problems, right? And then I know that Scripture says I'm supposed to help one another carry, carry those burdens, we're, we're going to circle back to that. Thank you, Jen. One person got that. So, Philippians 1, 27. Paul says this to the church in Philippi. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that I saw that you had, and now that I hear that you still have. So he describes the church as that which is walking in a manner worthy of Christ. Okay? He talks about one of the requisites to truly be the church's actual suffering. This is where you start to lose people. And this is where we start to get into the definitions this morning of church, churchy, and church. Equip. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, which is our, our key verse for this whole series, right? Paul says, for this I struggle, that I might be able to present with all wisdom, warning everyone with all wisdom for their benefit so that they might, what? Become mature in their faith. And so we want to equip people in order that we can grow as the church. This requires those teachers, those preachers, those apostles, those evangelists. It requires elders, deacons. It requires uh, servants. It requires servant leadership. It requires being like Christ. It requires getting past all of the reasonings, the rationales, the insecurities, the suffering, and putting at the forefront God's desire for his church so that we truly can be that splendorous thing. Understand, this is not easy. Six out of seven churches, Jesus says in the book of Revelation, hey, you're doing this great, but I hold this against you. So just understand, this is a constant struggle for the, the church. So let me help you out. There, there are five things, five E's up there that help understand what we 
determined out of Scripture that Jesus has said should characterize his church. When these things characterize our church, we're a healthy church. You know how many books are out there about the healthy church? And, and, and I just Googled it. I got four on my, uh, in my library. They might not be titled all that, but I've got at least four. But there are article after article, seven ways to measure whether you're, ten ways to measure if you're a healthy church. The three determining factors for a healthy church. We're going to go back and we're going to look, in, in, like I said, in just a moment, how do you determine why you're a healthy church? Let me pause for just a moment. Why would this be a priority passage? If I'm sharing with the church, why would this be a priority passage? Because I think that the church, in some ways, right, Jesus in, in Revelation 2 and 3, he commends and he condemns. And the church has its share of faults. And there are many people that have felt burned by the church and have given up on their faith or their faith has been shipwrecked. Let me just share with you, being the church is not about this experience being smooth and beautiful and heaven-like. He said that the church will what? The church will suffer. Because we live in a culture that's filled with sin, and when we start to dabble in some of that sin, when it starts to come into our church family, when it starts to stain the bride of Christ, then it has its effects on the rest of the family. Does that make sense? And so the challenge is that that will always happen south of heaven. So what do we do about it? Do we just give up on the church? Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense as I look at it. If we are by proxy his church, our consuming thought should probably be pleasing the bridegroom. Is bridegroom a word? Please, pleasing the groom. I don't know why right now that just is a conflict of interest in my head, and it's never been before. Bridegroom. The groom for the bride. Okay, anyway. You know what that was? Some of you were glossing over, and I just needed to pull you back. That's what that was. I know the word bridegroom. Let's get into this title, Churched, Churchy, and Church. What on earth does that mean? Well, let's do some analysis, okay? Let's do some analysis as to the health of the church and why this is a priority. Churched. Who do you think the churched are? Us? Not a bad idea. We're definitely churched. Ah, people brought up in the church. Any, anybody brought up in the church here? Okay. So, Becky, your comment still stands correct. But Dave's heading in a direction I really like. You know what a creaster is? So that would definitely be a churched person in their own mind. And that person, a creaster, is what by definition? Yeah, the church that shows up on Christmas and Easter. The one time a year we have to have two services. Right? And so it's people that grew up in the church, that know a little bit, that maybe made a commitment, but they're not interested in coming and being devoted to this group of believers. It would be the person who took the flyer at the car show and has some interest as they're driving by. They went like this. Maybe they got out and talked to the one guy who has the Shelby, right? There was a guy there with a Shelby. Now, see, you guys are ruined. Five guys in this, and, and three women are ruined for the rest of the sermon. All you're going to be thinking about is the Shelby Cobra. Gets out, takes the flyer on the Shelby, and never comes back. And then they get in a conversation with somebody later on, three years later, who's a car enthusiast, and they're like, oh yeah, I'm a car enthusiast too. I went to this great show in 72. And Stephen Curtis Chapman rocked. 
That's the church. Creasters. Those who grow up in the, my exact words in my notes, those who grew up in the church but have no desire for it. Those who have an appearance of godliness, borrowing again from Timothy, from Paul's writings to Timothy. Those who have an appearance of godliness, those who went to worship services with the full expectation that this is what being the church was all about. If your thought about being the church is completely realized in just attending services, number one, don't stop coming to services. You see what I did there, right? I mean, there's the obvious of what I did there. That was some marketing. But I didn't say, don't stop coming to church. I said, don't stop coming to services. See how our culture, not our character, but our culture has twisted our thinking. So that's why we've got to do some reset. That's why this is a priority. Is that there are many who claim Christ, but they have no desire to participate with the body of Christ. I don't know how that flies with our Lord and Savior. When he over and over talks about the need for commitment. How about churchy? What do you think churchy is? Some of you have been waiting for that one. You, that, that's like the one you've locked onto, right? What do you think churchy is? Anybody? People who point. Okay, over here. Yes. Yes. So what does that look like? They're here for everything. They've got their fingers in everything. Some of you are like, oh yeah, okay. Sounds like that's a negative. I'm quitting every ministry I'm involved in. <laughs> that is not what's being said here. Okay? Scott, don't move. Yes, it's that idea that who I am is determined by what I and the more that I do, the closer to Christ I am, or the more holy that I am. Have you ever met someone who, who just exemplified the total servant, was super involved, but really didn't even know Christ? Does that actually happen? Yeah. Yeah, it happens. It happens in real life. Right? I'm, I'm going to save the names. There's no way you know these two people. But these two brothers went to my church. I'm stuck on Shelby. They had a Shelby, uh, they had a uh, Cobra, Fastback, Mach 1. It was the car of the town. I don't know why I'm looking at these two guys when I'm saying this. One owns a Corvette, and I, the other owns a Fairlane. So I'm just stuck on it. Um, but these two guys, they drove around town in a Mach 1 Mustang. And they put surfboards on top of the car. And this was back when we still had a cruise in town on Friday nights, up and down Broadway. And they put surfboards on. The... Do you know how many of us just laughed at them? Not at their car, but at them and their character. And they didn't, they didn't even have the surfboards facing the right way for someone who knows how to surf on the car. There are those people that are part, that come to services, the churchy ones. They know how to say grace, like extended grace, right? Sa, you got to put it at the end. They're the ones that know Father Weegis. Do you guys know Father Weegis? Right? You all know Father Weegis. Father we just ask you, Father, we just need your presence. Father, we just. The tragedy is if someone is in our midst and walks side by side with us and knows nothing about his divine power. And this is why sometimes the church is fragmented and disjointed. Brothers and sisters, today I encourage you 
I implore you, as Paul says, know Christ. When you know Christ, all other cultural things work themselves out. Know Christ. So that leads us to the last one, church. What do you think church is? Just go for it. There's no wrong answer. All in. Thank you, Roger. Well done. He's quoting a previous sermon series. Um, yes, these are the ones that are the saints. These are the ones that their name is in that book of life. These are the ones that, that are a train wreck, but they're truly devoted to him. Right? These are the ones that, if they get distracted, if they get discouraged or dissuaded, the Holy Spirit is resident in their life and he pulls them back in. They refuse to let those things that are, are challenging, that are arduous in life, to throw them off from loving the Lord. Watch this, not my words. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and what? I'm a little tired today. I don't think I can make it to service. With all of your strength, my goodness. The Lord's been waking me up at like, like 5 a.m. on Sundays. And I keep having a conversation with him around 5.13. Like, look, I know you're sovereign in what you're doing, but I don't do well on days where I get up before 10 o'clock. The mind doesn't work very good. If there's any benefit to what's being said, it's because I'm participating in his divine power. Right? His divine power. And that's not select to the preacher. That promise is to the church, the bride, the bride of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12. Let me give you the definition here. Actually, I, I owe you the definition on churchy. Those who know the language and use it but are powerless. Those who use the church for their social club but have no spirit-led desire to serve. Those who have an outward appearance, but there's nothing inside. Matthew 23, 27 through 28 speaks to that as well. Under the title church, which is the object, it is the target, it is who we are to be, this is simply defined this way, the bride of Christ. You said it. We are the bride of Christ, and we are seeking to please him, and we're eagerly awaiting the return of the bridegroom, Philippians chapter 1, right? So 1 Corinthians 12 gives us this beautiful model as the church. So now that we know what we need to be, 1 Corinthians 12 gives us this beautiful model of interdependency, something the, the cute blonde in the front row said earlier. For those who are visiting, that's my wife. just want to be real clear. The idea of interdependency. Joe cannot accomplish the fullness of his ministry without whom today? Without us. Without Marianne. Without Scott. Right? Without Becky on the words. But so many churches, pastors, worship leaders, forget that it's those people that really make possible the opportunity for us to be united and to be one through praise. Thank God our worship leader does not forget those people because we are united. There's an interdependency. We'll circle back to this in a minute. My alarm went off on my arm. I'm hurrying. Ephesians 5, 25 through 32 is the illustration of the bridegroom and the bride. And what's beautiful about it is you hear this all the time quoted at weddings. Let me just share with you that Paul was just using the relationship between the bride and the groom as an illustration to talk about the relationship of the church and Christ. And, and we don't want to skip this, so turn there. I want to focus on one key wording here. Ephesians 5. Wow, this is a really worn out page. Ephesians 5. 
25 through 32. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What a romantic idea. The idea that Christ sacrificed everything and then gave us the Holy Spirit so he can present us as holy and without blemish. Isn't that the beautiful picture of marriage? This is as granular as it gets in the relationship of the church with the bridegroom. Pictures from history and scripture about the bride of Christ. Look at the seven churches in Revelation. This idea of commended or condemned. Look at the widow out of Mark 12, right? She came, some of you may say, well, I'm, all, I'm not all that important. Nobody's going to miss me. What a tragedy if you've ever felt missed and nobody followed up. We need to be better, okay? And that applies to everybody, me first. But here's the widow walking up, and Jesus is talking with the religious leaders, and she gives what? She gives a... A tiny, tiny amount of money. Yet Jesus says, what about her? Widow's might. Excellent, Abba. Who do you think Jesus had a deeper love for and appreciation? The religious leaders who pretended to be church or the widow? Yeah. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You don't have to have some title. You don't have to be the most important. The idea is to please the groom and to do what the groom says. Those five E's behind me are just an alliteration to help us understand all that. The early church in Acts 2. We're going to go to Acts 2 and then we're going to close. So the early church is forming, and this kind of works a little bit against us, because many of us know, like I, I remember sitting in to the uh, big welcome when we took our son to college, and he was starting with a concentration for computer sciences. Well, it was the first year they implemented that program. So once he left the room with his professor... The president of the college and the staff asked, are there any questions? I raised my hand and I said, yeah, I, I, when I finished my um, undergrad, I went into a program that was just launched and it was a train wreck. I loved it because they had to keep giving me grades that I didn't earn because they didn't have their stuff together. Certain software didn't work, certain teachers didn't show up on time, you know, yada, yada, yada. And when you first write, you don't buy a car that was built on, you guys don't know that one? Yes, Monday, right? Or Friday, buy a car built on Wednesday, right? You don't buy new technology the first year it's released because you want them to work out the what? The bugs. You want them to work out the bugs, but this is different because these individuals had personal contact with the revealing of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. Some of these individuals had personal contact with Jesus himself. So what a great way. This is called orthodoxy. And it's the idea that there is greatly valued understanding of looking at the life of the early church because it's real easy for us to deviate, isn't it? And to add things in and to make it about something it's not supposed to be. So that's why we look at these passages. We don't need to get the bugs out on these they got the bugs out. We added the bugs later. So Acts 2, 42 says, I got to get all the way. Here we go. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So there was teaching. And the fellowship. There was what? Teaching and fellowship. To the breaking of bread. Hanny, there was donuts. I don't know if there was donuts, but you know. And there was prayer. 
There's four things right there that we know that the early church devoted themselves to. Now watch this. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Interdependency. 1 Corinthians 12, the uniting of the body, the elbow, the thumb, right? The thyroid. I always say I'm the thyroid of the body. Nobody knows what that means, so you can't nail me to the wall. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple one at a time. <laughs> Together. They were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food and with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. Beautiful picture. And, and Acts 4 uh, is just a representation of that. I want to finish today by doing a little test. Can we do a little test? Would you be willing to do that? You're like, anything to get this sermon over. <laughs> Works for me. I hear you laughing, Jay. So, our mission statement, we often have it up. It's in your bulletin. Our mission statement is that which is given out of Scripture for the church. It's to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. There's our, one of our E's. And to shine his light, there's another E. By lovingly serving his church, there's another E, right? Our community and the nations for the glory of God. That's our mission statement as we see God's expectation for his church. This is what we will be missional about in every ministry that we do. The next is our vision statement. Picture a church, right? Vision is seeing something that doesn't exist yet. Picture a church that is relevant in heaven, earth, and hell because people of all ages, cultures, and position are transformed and unified through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to exist as because that's what we see out of Scripture that God calls, that's the picture he paints of his church. Now let's ask some questions because what we did is we codified that vision statement. Here's where we're going to get into it. We say that that should look like this. People of prayer rooted in the promises and authority of Jesus Christ. Do we practice that here? Let's see how healthy we are. Give me one example. We only have time for one example per. Who do you know that has been praying in the promises and authority of Jesus Christ? The Garcias for Gabriel and asking for prayer for Gabriel, and seeing God working in that situation. Amen. People of leadership committed to developing our next generation. How do you see that? Are we failing, or are we doing it? Yes. Last week, none of these people are here. What happened? You know, if you're watching right now, I don't know what camera I'm on. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was I, I said something that hurt your feelings. Get in line. <laughs> but we mentioned the investment in the next generation. Some of you know this wonderful girl, Angel. Some of you know Margie. Margie lost her husband, Bo, a year and a half ago to cancer. And some of you have been really wonderful friends to her. Margie's daughter and grandchildren, who were raised in this youth group, raised in Lifetime Summer Day Camp, came to church last week. Margie had no idea it was happening. She came up, and the joy on her face was undefinable. And it happened. The edification and the engagement happened because of a very obscure girl that grew up in our youth group named Angel, who was led by the Holy Spirit to call her friends who had been missing for a while. And that happened because of leaders volunteering their time week after week, investing in that young lady. I'll say yes, we pass. We can always get better, right? People of biblical authority dedicated to God's will and righteousness. 
Yes or no? One example. Who's that guy? I can guarantee you that as long as our elders are here, any question we have, any direction we have to take in leadership will be based off scriptural authority. Not off cultural desires or norms, but we will approach those cultural norms based off of scriptural authority. Um, Some of you are looking and you're saying, oh my gosh, there's a long list, we're going to be here for another hour. People of, can I read the room or what? (laughs) Right? People of compassion determined to set the captives free through wise counsel. Do we do this? Do we counsel? Yes, we had a Celebrate Recovery program that was fantastic, and it really was one of the things that highlighted this process. And so let me be clear about this. That program does not exist right now. It doesn't exist because our church elders like flipped the switch and said, we hate, you know, celebrate recovery. That's not what happened. What happened is what happens with any ministry that happens here at CBC. If we have dedicated leadership that will be part of that and leading that and take responsibility for that, that's part of our church, then we can have that ministry. And so both of our leaders, God moved on to other places. And so right now, we don't have someone to step up in that leadership role. So that's something to be thinking about. And so that doesn't mean that we stopped doing this. We're doing this continually. Um, you guys see the rest. I'm just going to truncate it. See, you have leadership that can read the room. Let me finish by saying this. Ephesians 5 gives us this picture that the church is the bride. The church is the bride. And there are times in the relationship where the bride is tired, where the bride might be overworked, where the bride may be even questioning, did I marry the right groom? Can I just encourage you, those are all norms that people struggle with. Follow through with reinvesting with who Jesus is and trusting and believing him and then acting as the appropriate bride that wants to please him, him who seeks and gave everything that he might be able to present you holy and blameless and spotless. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for this reminder of what church really is. And it may seem um, like a simple thing, but in our lifetime, there are so many things that can discourage us or get us um, sidelined. Help this message to strike to the heart of each person to figure out, am I churched, am I churchy, or am I the church? And to consider what it means to be in a healthy relationship with you and to exist as your representation, as Trinity wisely said, as your representation here on earth. Thank you, Father, for all things given to us. We present this to you in your name. Use this for your glory. Amen.